is 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. Drama, action, suspense, comedy. We're aware of the different genres of movies, right? And then there are the sub-genres. So not only is a movie a drama, but it's a World War II drama. Uh, not only is a movie a comedy, but it's a slapstick comedy or a rom-com, right? One subgenre I particularly enjoy is the genre of heist film. If you ever heard of that. So you'll know the movie. So whether it's the Mission Impossible movies or Inception, where they try to steal like things that aren't physical, or Ocean's Eleven, which is one of my favorites of all time, Judge Me Later. It's, intrig it's intriguing to see the plot unfold, the, the plans being made, the heist pulled off. But I wonder, what if we tweaked those storylines just a bit? What if the guys who had the money or whatever the object of the theft was had been ready for the thieves? What if that casino owner had known Danny Ocean's plans all along and was ready to stop them? What then? What if they had been ready? Well, we have three more weeks to go in this book of 1 Thessalonians, so we've been looking at this letter for the past few months, and I've really enjoyed studying it with you. Uh, by way of reminder, 1 Thessalonians is one of the earliest written books in the New Testament. The author is Paul, who was one of the missionaries of the early Christian church. And at the time of this letter, he's in the city of Corinth, writing back to a brand new church he's just planted in the city of Thessalonica. Uh, these are new Christians, and they're facing persecution for their faith, but to Paul's joy, he's heard that they're growing in Christ. And so he encourages them, while also continuing to teach and admonish them what they need to know about their newfound faith. So last week we saw Paul address the fate of those who had died in Christ in that church. He told them they would be rise, raised again to eternal life. And this week we see Paul continue this theme of the coming of Christ and especially what that truth should mean for those who are waiting. For some it will be a surprise, like a thief in the night. But for others it will be an expected day, a day of rejoicing. So for our time together this morning, let's look at three things together from this passage that Ashley has just read for us. First, in verses 1 through 3, let's see the surprise. Second, in verses 4 through 8, let's see the preparation. 
And then finally, in verses 9 through 11, let's see the destiny. So first, the surprise. Look there in verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. So remember, last week at the end of chapter 4, Paul has been talking about the return of Christ, the day when he will descend from heaven and catch his people up into the air and they will forever be with the Lord. And so here Paul is referring back to that day, to the day when Christ will return. And he says in verse 2, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So if you go back to the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, you'll see this term, the day of the Lord. Corey opened up our service by reading for us from Joel 2, where we saw prophecies regarding the day of the Lord. And basically, the day of the Lord is a day when God's going to come back, when Christ will judge the earth. It's a day of wrath, a day of justice. And so Paul says that day is not necessarily going to be flashed up on our calendars. It won't come up as a reminder on our phones. No, it's going to come like a thief in the night. And that makes sense because generally robbers and burglars don't prefer to break into a house in broad daylight, right? It's easy to see them. The residents of the house tend to be awake at that time. So thieves generally work at night. At, at night, they're less detectable. They can be more secretive. They can avoid capture. And so Paul uses this image not to call Jesus a thief, but to say that in the same way that a thief surprises everyone by doing his work at night undercover, so also the return of Christ will be a shock to the world. Look there in verse 3. Paul says, While people are saying, There is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So not only will the day of the Lord be unexpected, but Paul says it will be inescapable. And to make that crystal clear, Paul switches metaphors from a thief to a pregnant mother. So while the pregnant mom is indeed expecting labor to come at some point because she's pregnant, she doesn't know when that labor is going to come. And certainly when it does come, she finds it to be inescapable, right? It's going to happen. And so Paul is making it really clear that the return of Christ to judge the world will be both unexpected and unavoidable. It will come and no one will be able to flee it. So at different times over the past few decades, you probably have heard people on the radio or on TV speculate and even boldly state that they know when Christ will come back. Uh, they have ordered the numbers perfectly. They're numerologists, after all. They've calculated the formulas. They have it down. Jesus will come back on this date at this time. No questions asked. And those days come and the sun comes up and then the sun goes down and nobody's the worse for wear except their pride, right? And it's funny because Aaron read it earlier in Matthew and Paul says it here clearly in 1 Thessalonians that nobody knows the times and seasons of Christ's return. It's uncertain. But church, there's one thing we can know for certain, and that will be that no one will be left guessing when Jesus does come back. Like we saw last week, that day will be unmistakable. Look, verse 3, Jesus will come back with what? Sudden destruction. And verse 9, with what? Wrath. And that day will be the final day of this world as we know it. That we know. The wicked will be judged and the righteous will be saved. And that's a sober warning from Paul. There's no doubt about it. 
He's been giving good pleasantries and caring for the church. And this is no different. He's caring for the church here with hard words. He loves them enough to give them this dire warning. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night and there will be no escape. So if we, Paul, if, if we don't know when the day is coming and if there's no escape, are we without hope? Well, let's look at our next point in verses 4 through 8, the preparation. Look in verse 4. Paul tells the Thessalonians, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. See, Paul is saying that not all will be totally taken surprised by this day of the Lord. There's a way to be prepared for it. Verse 5, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Paul's saying that there are basically two kinds of people. Those who walk in spiritual darkness and those who walk in spiritual light. For those in darkness, the day of the Lord will be unexpected and devastating. But for those in light, it will be anticipated and full of joy. So throughout the Bible, we see this theme of darkness and light, right? The, the whole world is in darkness, but then the light of the world, Jesus, comes. Our hearts are lost in darkness, but then the light pierces our souls. So one example in Colossians 1, verse 13, we see that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So as Paul talks about people walking in the light, he's not talking about people who are merely enlightened or clear-headed. He's making a definitive comment about the identity of Christians. Everyone who follows after Christ is a child of light. So if you're here this morning, you've given yourself to Christ and you're following after him. Listen, brothers and sisters, you walk in light. Your whole life, your whole world has been changed. You've been given a new heart with new desires and a new hope and that new reality needs to change everything about the way you live. You don't live in darkness anymore. You live in the light of Christ. You've been made spiritually alive. And so the coming of Christ for you, for all those who belong to him, will be a surprise because we don't know the date or time, but it won't be a surprise we're not ready for. It's like when someone's planning a surprise birthday party for you and you kind of suspect it they're not good at keeping secrets. And then a friend kind of leaks a hint and you're like, okay, something's coming at some point. I'm going to be surprised because I don't know when, but when it does come, it won't be totally a surprise. I'll be sort of expecting it, but I'll act surprised, right? It's kind of like that. You know something's coming, but not quite when. And remember, Paul has been talking since the beginning of chapter 4 about what it looks like to live in a way that pleases God. He's rejoiced in this new heart that the Thessalonians have in Christ. And he's instructed them now to live out what it looks like to live with that new heart. And now he continues to do that here in verse 6. He says, in light of who we are in Christ, in light of who the Thessalonians are in Christ, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. He's saying, you all belong to Jesus now, so be ready for his return. Don't neglect your faith, but live in anticipation of the king. And church, let's be reminded here of something we say often, but quickly forget, which is why we say it often. Our behavior can only change if our identity is changed. 
Our behavior can only change if our identity is changed. So if you're here and you're not a Christian, first of all, thank you for being here. Uh, we're honored by you joining us this morning. And I, I wonder, though, if you've always had this thought of Christianity as sort of a system of rules and regulations. Lists of things we need to do and things we certainly can't do in order to be saved by God. Let me just assure you that's not what the Bible teaches. God's word definitively teaches that everyone is completely dead and lost in sin and unable to save themselves, justly under God's righteous judgment for how we've lived. And the only way for us to be, ever be made with right with God is if we're completely remade. If all the sin of our hearts is washed away and we're given new spiritual life, so that's what we believe. We believe that our identity needs to be changed before we can ever hope to change how we live and our behavior. God needs to give us new hearts before we can live to please him. This is especially helpful if you're working in the workplace or somewhere else and somebody's constantly getting on your nerves and doing things to offend you and to undermine you. Remember that they need a new heart if they're to act in keeping with the law of God, pray for them. So Paul writes, verse 6, to those who have been given new life in Christ, to those who are in the light, children of the day, and who they now are must now affect how they live. That's what Paul's saying in verse 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And remember, this is a different kind of sleep than we saw last week, which meant it was a euphemism for death. This is sleep as in being spiritually lazy and sleepy and inattentive. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, identity, let us be sober, behavior, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Paul never seems to be lacking a good illustration, does he? And here he gives a few more. So just like the homeowner who's asleep at night when the thief arrives and is bleary-eyed and unprepared, the same is true for a drunk person. The drunk has dulled his wits. He's not ready for a thief, let alone an intelligent conversation, right? So Paul says, don't be spiritually drunk when Christ returns. Instead, be sober-minded. And in verse 8, he employs a military metaphor. He says, we are to be like soldiers who are so prepared that we arm ourselves with faith, with hope, and with love. This trio of Christian fruits that the Holy Spirit grows in our hearts as we belong to Jesus. So church family, Christ's return will bring destruction to those who aren't ready and joy to those who are. It's no joke. It's nothing to be flippant about. So if you're a Christian, this passage must urge you and urge me, urge us to do some good self-reflection. How might we be sleeping on this? How might we be unprepared for Christ's return? How might we ignore it or downplay it by living for ourselves? One scholar writes, to be drunk spiritually is to imbibe too much of the world's way of looking at things and not enough of the way God views reality. So that's something to think about, Christian. Where have you become so much like the world that's kind of hard to tell that you're any different? 
Is the way you talk about your spouse at work any different from the way your coworkers talk about their spouses? Is the way you nurse anger and bitterness in your heart any different from how people have behaved who've offended you in the past? Is the way you view illicit websites for your own personal pleasure any different from the way traffickers prey on the vulnerable for their own profit? Is the way you look down on other Christians as less holy than yourself, less passionate than you are for Jesus, any different from the way your arrogant boss treats you? Church, let us not sleep. This is a gracious warning from the Apostle Paul. We are to walk in the light as those who are in the light, in Christ himself, who is the light. We are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling, rejoicing in the work that the Spirit is doing in us so we can be ready for his return, the return of Christ. And it could be today. So Christian, if, if you're taking sin lightly, repent. If you're refraining from humbling yourself and seeking forgiveness from someone, repent. That's not who you are anymore. You belong to the light. Be who you are, who God has made you to be. If you seek to walk in darkness, when you're made for the light, you're going to trip and fall. Walk in the light. Don't be spiritually hung over when Jesus comes back. Drunk on your own anger and idolatry. Don't coddle respectable sins like gossip and bitterness and superiority. Instead, let's work together to kill sin, respectable and not. Let's be vigilant over our hearts. And church, is this grace? Doesn't this sound a little preachy? A little hellfire and brimstone? Let me just say, living like that Living, killing sin in order to be prepared for the coming of Christ will not make us a bunch of judgmental morality police. If it does, we have not learned. No, this kind of vigilant living, this watching over our hearts must make us like Christ, must make us humble, must make us broken and prepared Christians, persevering together until he comes back. What joy we will have on that day. So Christian, where are you at? Are you still trusting in Christ? Are you turning away from sin? Are you accountable to others? Are you opening up your life painful as that can be so that you can be encouraged to follow Jesus? The way you can know you're a Christian is if you're still a Christian. The way you can know you're ready for Jesus' return is if you're ready for Jesus' return. Is that in your mind? Greg Beale, a commentator on this passage, has shared a helpful anecdote from his childhood. He writes, when I was about three or four, I was supposed to be napping in my room one afternoon. Instead, mad about being forced to sleep, I was scribbling with crayons all over the walls of my room. All of a sudden, my mother came into the room and caught me in the middle of the act. She surprised me both cognitively and ethically. He says, It is true that Christ's coming will be a surprise to Christians intellectually, since only the Father knows the day or hour. However, Christ's return should not surprise us ethically. 
when he comes, he should find us acting like those faithful servants in Matthew 24, living in loyal consideration of God and his word. So church, are we ready? Are we prepared? Where can we strengthen and help those who are ensnared in sin so that we can together be ready as a church for the return of our king? All right, those are our first two points, the surprise and the preparation. Let's finally see the destiny there in the, past, in the last three verses. Verse 9, Paul says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, now meaning death and life again, we might live with him. The great preacher John Stott puts it like this. So far, Paul has based how we should behave on who we are. Now he goes on to base who we are on who God is and on what he has done for us. So listen, Christian, if you're sobered by this passage so far, that's good. I feel like I've earned my paycheck. At times, we all need a little sniff of smelling salts to remind us who we are and how we must turn away from sin. Perhaps as you think about your heart, you wonder if you're a Christian at all. And that's okay if you pursue it. Don't let that line of thinking just diminish with football this afternoon. Pursue it. Find someone in the church you trust and pray together. Seek to discern whether you are in Christ. But everyone, church, family, in our striving, in our preparation, we must remember our destiny. We must remember that this is all of grace. We must remember that this is God's work and he is the one who will complete it as we'll see in two weeks when Paul at the end of 1 Thessalonians says, he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. I mean, think about it. Our destiny in our sin was on the fast lane to hell. That was our destination. We deserved God's wrath. We had spat in the face of our creator. We had given him the cosmic pink slip saying, you're no longer king of our lives. That's our job now. We were justly deserving of his wrath his anger towards our sin. Our destiny, friends, was terrifying. Eternity separated from all the love and kindness and grace in the universe. Our destiny was forever without God, without hope, no escape. If you think about the worst day you've ever experienced, whether it was deep depression or pain or fear, dread, that's your destiny forever, every day. In Revelation, we read about people facing the wrath of God and just pleading for the mountains to fall on them and crush them so they won't have to face the wrath of the Lamb of God. That was our destiny, Christians. But then God intervened. As Paul wrote earlier at the end of chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians, Jesus delivers us from the wrath to come. So there is a way of escape through Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, that's why we get so excited about this, about the gospel. It's good news that we were sinners against God, destined for hell, but praise his name, he stepped in. 
He sent his precious son to go to the cross to take on himself that hell we were destined for. Jesus suffered God's wrath for our sin so that now whether we live or die, we might live with him. Never get tired of thinking it like this. The judge of the world taking his own judgment meant for us on himself so that we might go free. So as one author has thought about it, the news that Jesus is coming back is bad news for us in our sin. But the news that the Jesus who is coming back is the one who died for us, who endured that wrath of God in our place, the news that it it is that Jesus who's the one who's coming back, well, that's something to live for. That's something to get ready for. That's something to never forget. And so Paul ends the passage like he did in chapter 4. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So dear family, be encouraged. Don't lose heart. Fix your eyes on Christ. I know my own heart, so I know there is often a tendency to shrug off the urgency of this truth. There's temptation to dabble in sin just a little bit longer, knowing you can repent later. There's a temptation to hold a grudge just a little bit longer because it just feels so good to be angry. There's a temptation to linger in lust just a little bit longer because life is just so stressful and you need some sort of break. So let's ask the Lord as a church to sober us up this morning, to wake us up from any spiritual snooze. Let's reject any inclination to spiritual lethargy and instead seek to persevere until Jesus comes back. And when he returns, let's be ready. Let's call out to him and continually rehearse the truth of the gospel daily. That our sin, not just some of it, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. Let's pray. Oh Jesus, thank you for dying for us and rising again. Thank you that you have conquered our death and our sin. And we pray, oh Lord, come back soon. Come back soon to take us to be with you. And in the meantime, prepare us. Make us ready. Quicken our slow hearts. Renew our joy in our salvation. We pray especially, Lord, for those in our church family who are stuck in sin this morning. Would you wake them up? Would you give them new eyes to see the beautiful Savior who is coming? Spirit, lift us up. Give us strength where we're weak and keep us until our King returns. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.